Dear friends in Jesus Christ, during these Wednesdays of Lent here in 2023, we are on a journey with Jesus as he takes his final steps toward the cross. So far in this season, going back to Ash Wednesday, we took a look at how his final steps led him to the tomb of Lazarus. We don't know exactly when that was, but it seems to be about two to four weeks prior to Good Friday. So of course, think about Jesus. He realizes how close the cross for him is drawing near. And then what did he do though? He raises Lazarus to life. And even as he did that, didn't that give him some joy thinking about the Father raising him to life very soon? And then last Wednesday, his final steps led him to the home of Lazarus, Mary, and Martha. That happened on the Saturday before Palm Sunday. So now we are less than one week before Good Friday. And what happened there? Mary, surprisingly, shockingly, she anoints Jesus with a very expensive perfume. There were a lot of mixed feelings about the whole thing, but she was doing the right thing. She understood the cross was drawing near. And this was a beautiful way for her to prepare his body for burial. And then what about today? Well, today, Jesus' final steps led to the temple in Jerusalem. Now we are in Holy Week. Now it is Holy Monday. And there at the temple, see if you can pick up on these things in the sermon today, but Jesus ended up saying and doing things that were shocking, that were wonderful, that were anger-inducing, and that were instructive. Today we are in Matthew chapter 21. We are picking up in verse 12. And we are going right to the place here where Jesus cleansed the temple, as we say. The Bible says, And Jesus entered the temple complex, not the temple itself, but the temple complex, and drove out all those who were buying and selling in the temple, that is, in the court of the Gentiles, and overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who were selling doves. And he said to them, It is written, My house shall be called a house of prayer, but you are making it a robber's den. Let's try to understand a little bit better what was there within that temple complex. So, there were separate areas, so you had one area for the priests, another area for the Jewish men, another area for the Jewish women, and then you also had another area for the Gentiles. Now the Gentiles had a place, but they could not go inside the temple, but still there was a place in that temple complex for them. For each group I just mentioned, what was the idea of those different areas, the idea is let's gather in that area. It's going to be a place that's more quiet, a place where we can pray, a place where we can worship, and so on. That was the intention of the entire temple complex here. However, though, what was going on? Well, when we think about the time of Jesus in the court of the Gentiles there, 
That was a place where it had turned into the place to exchange your money and to buy an animal for sacrifice. If you take a look at the image there, you can see the large area there to the left of the temple. So that was the court of the Gentiles. So it was an area outside of the temple, but still it's within the temple complex. And that area was intended for the Gentiles to gather there, pray there, and worship there. I want to read a quote here from Dr. Kretzman. He noted, a strange scene, he calls it, here in the court of the Gentiles, the lowing of the cattle, the bleeding of the sheep and lambs, the cooing of the doves, the cry of the vendors, the clink of the money, all this in the place which was sacred to the name of God. But there is more, though, that made it a negative, sinful situation at the time of Jesus, going down with what Dr. Kretzman wrote, at the time of Jesus, the priests were often deriving benefit from this money-changing and animal-selling arrangement by drawing down a profit from what was going on and oftentimes a large profit from what was going on. In other words, they required the people to change their money so let's make it an unfair advantage for us. They required the people to buy their animals rather than bring their own animals, so let's make it an unfair advantage for us. So Dr. Kretzman noted then, cheating and overreaching was the order of the day there in the court of the Gentiles. Maybe that gives you a little bit of an idea why Jesus was so upset and why he cleansed that area, why he drove out those people, because first of all, it was intended to gather and worship and pray. Pretty difficult to do that with all the activity going on. And then they were doing it in a way that was underhanded and taking advantage of the people. I want to talk a little bit more about Jesus' reference here to a den of robbers, or as it said here in our text today, a robber's den. If we jump back 600 years earlier and we go back to the time of Jeremiah, I want to read to you some words that the Lord spoke through Jeremiah to the people. Keep in mind, the people were in grave trouble and they didn't even know it. These are the words. The Lord spoke to the people through Jeremiah and said, Will you steal, murder, and commit adultery, and swear falsely, and offer sacrifices to Baal, and walk after other gods that you have not known? Then come and stand before me in this house, talking about the temple, in this house, which is called by my name, and say, we are delivered. Has this house, which is called by my name, become a den of robbers? That's what the people had heard 600 years earlier. What was going on there? The people wrongly thought oh, this is fine, we'll just live in all these sins, no big deal, and then we'll come to the temple and we'll say, hey, here we are, we're in the temple, so we are delivered, everything is fine. 
Do people do that today too? Are they living in all this sin? And then maybe they come to church and they're like, oh, that must fix everything. God is smiling down upon me. So during the week they're living in sin, they're coming to church and they think that somehow that's a good arrangement. Back at the time, that, that's what was going on at the time of Jeremiah. And it's really probably going on throughout history. We convince ourselves that we're okay when in fact we're not okay. God is calling us to be honest with ourselves and not think and not think that we have God's forgiveness when we actually don't. God is looking at the heart. God is looking for a repentant heart, a heart that is honest and says, God, I believe what is in your word and wherever it identifies sin, I want to be honest with that and identify sin in my life. I want to be sorry for those sins. I want to know I can't fix those sins. And I want to trust always and only in your son who fixed everything for me. May God help all of us to always be that way. Coming to the second part here, the Bible tells us about Jesus doing some healing. So it's kind of a quick little statement, but it's a huge, huge thing. In verse 14, it says, And the blind and the lame came to him in the temple, and he healed them. Now, you have to th remember what's going on here. There was all this activity in the court of the Gentiles. Jesus just drove all those people out. You've got all this excitement, all this agitation. And then these people who are blind and lame, they end up showing up or they end up coming forward. And what does Jesus do? He heals them. Let's make an addition here. So when we think about Jesus, let's add his shocking words to his awesome miracles. In other words, we could say he had the right, he had the authority to say what he said and to do what he did, and he proved it by doing the healing of these people who were in need. What was the problem, though? The problem was that to some people, like the Jewish leaders, what he did looked wrong. And they were really bothered by the fact that he did not check with them. He did not get their permission to do what he did. He just did it. It was as if they were saying, Jesus, we are here. You are down here. You need to check with us. What was the problem? They didn't understand that Jesus is not down here. He is way, way, way up here. He doesn't need to check with anybody. They didn't get that, though. So picture the scene, these blind people are being led by the hand into this area. They're kind of helpless, they can't see. Imagine the people coming in with their crutches, they can hardly walk, maybe some of them are being carried, and then after God's powerful intervention, what do we have? We have people who could not see, now they can see. We have people who were lame, and now they are leaping for joy. So it was a very powerful thing when you combine that together with the cleansing and then the great miracles, right kind of at the same time. What happened, though, the Jewish leaders became angry. The Bible says, 
But when the chief priests and the scribes saw the wonderful things that Jesus had done and the children who were shouting in the temple, Hosanna to the son of David, they became indignant, they became angry and said to Jesus, do you hear what these children are saying? So the Bible is clear from the gospel according to Mark that Jesus is welcomed as the promised Messiah. Now that happened just the day before on Palm Sunday, the crowds welcomed him as the promised Messiah. Now what do we have going here the very next day? It's Holy Monday. Now the children are welcoming him as the promised Messiah. Why do I say that? Because they shouted, Hosanna to the son of David. What does that mean? How could we put that in other words? They were saying, Jesus, the promised Messiah, save us. We pray. So they recognized these realities. And of course, the Jewish leaders hated that they were giving him that praise. So what happened again? Jesus drives out the people without their permission, and then he accepted this messianic directed praise. They hated both of those things. They hated Jesus, and we could say the Jewish leaders were steaming mad. If it's possible for someone to get mad enough that smoke would come out their ears, maybe that was their situation. They were so upset. And then what did Jesus do? He responds back to these leaders and he explained the scriptures to them. Jesus said to them, yes. So they asked him a question. Do you hear what these children are saying? And Jesus said, yes. Have you never read out of the mouth of infants and nursing babies, you have prepared praise for yourself? So what is normal? What is normal? Well, at least in this case, we could say it's normal that adults know more than children, right? Typically, adults know more than children. But what happened here on Holy Monday in the court of the Gentiles? The children, they understood Jesus is the promised Messiah, so they gave him the proper praise. What about the learned Jewish leaders, they were in reality spiritually blind. They were spiritually dead. They were consumed by their own wickedness, and they did not recognize who Jesus is, so they did not give him the proper praise. Maybe that points a little bit to the idea of children having a childlike faith. Children oftentimes believe things that we adults have a struggle believing. Children, when you tell them, they believe it simply because an adult told them it was true. When we hear it as adults, we're like, okay, I hear what you're saying, but I don't understand how that works, and that seems like it might be impossible, and I don't know if I want to believe it or not. We get all that stuff like mixed up, but God wants us to simply say, believe whatever the Bible says. We don't have to understand all of it. We know it's from God. We can rely upon it. Simply believe it. 
But Jesus didn't stop there, though. He wanted the Jewish leaders to really be able to get it. He cared about them. Even though they were angry, even though they were wicked, he wanted them to get it. He wanted them to be repentant. So what he did then is he quoted Psalm chapter 8, verse 2, and he's trying to say to them, hey guys, in the Old Testament, we have this statement, and what happened with the children praising me is that that statement in the Old Testament, that was just fulfilled. What they did, that was a fulfillment of prophecy. I actually am the promised Messiah, and they praised me in that way. He wanted them to see that. What do you think about those Jewish leaders? Would some of them, by God's grace, finally see the connection between Jesus and what the Bible says about the Messiah? Would they finally recognize Jesus as to who he really is? Would they repent of their sins? Would they embrace him as Savior? Well, we don't know how many, but we know that some did, and we thank God for that. Finally, at the end here, we know that Jesus then left Jerusalem. The Bible says he left and went out of the city of Bethany and spent the night there. Try to think about each day for Jesus as he is in this final time as he approaches the cross. It had to be so intense for him because he understood that his arrest was coming very soon. And then he would be so severely beaten. And then he would be nailed to a cross. And then our sins would be put upon him. And then God's punishment would come down upon him. He knew all that was coming. And then he was having all these many and various encounters and challenges from the Jewish leaders. So it was so difficult. So what was a little bit of a breather for Jesus? Well, a little bit of a breather was that he left Jerusalem each day. He went about two miles to Bethany, kind of get away from the crowds. Keep in mind now, it is the time of the Passover, so Jerusalem is swelling with all these additional people, so it was so crowded. So for him to be able to get out of that crowd, to leave Jerusalem, to go a couple miles to Bethany, and to stay at the home of Lazarus, Mary, and Martha. Kind of a nice break. This is so intense. He can get away from that. He can go to their home. He can relax a little bit. He can have a nice meal and so on. We are getting closer and closer to the cross. But for now, though, let us pray. Dearest Jesus, with your cleansing of the temple, you showed love for the Gentiles. With your reference to the den of robbers, you called the Jewish leaders to repent. With your healing of the blind and lame, you showed the loving power of God. And with your acceptance of praise from the children, you identified yourself as the promised Messiah. Now, we pray that you would help us to be always sorry for our sins Help us to always trust in you for eternal life and help us to always honor you in our lives in all that we say and do. In your holy name we pray. Amen.